0: If you did did not make Bible class, get to hear Dean speak, the guy that Greg was talking about right here, Dean Barham, glad to have he and his wife Melanie, their two boys, David and Luke with us. Their oldest is also a daughter named Christine, been here most of the weekend, how's that house hunt going? Other than that, it's good. <laughs> Houses are a little tight market here, uh, but we know uh, God will provide. Just in case some of y'all have a extra house you didn't know what to do with. <sighs> For such a time as this, uh, after this service, Dean and Melanie will be near the Welcome Center or in the Welcome Center. Make a quick, brief. Stop by there on your way to the Cornerstone Luncheon. Get to meet him. uh, Extend them a warm welcome. We are really thrilled that they are here. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for bringing uh, the Barums our way. So excited to have them uh, in our, on our uh, leadership team at this church, and uh, we're excited to hear his word this morning. I pray that you will empower him through your spirit to encourage and inspire and challenge us. May we have ears to hear the message he brings. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks.
1: And good morning, church, or uh, maybe I'm supposed to say howdy. Is that right? My, my wife, I, I was going to put it on there, Molly's like, no, eh, maybe don't start with howdy on the video, but I had to howdy you here. It's so good to be with you. Uh, absolute honor and joy to be in this place. It really is. You guys are an incredible blessing to me and to our family already. Um, I, I told them in the first service to share with you guys as, as well, I was just thinking about it this week. You don't know, but you all actually trained me for ministry. You don't know that, but this church trained me. Um, I, uh, I, I tell people all the time, I, I tried twice to be a lawyer, and God kept calling me into ministry, into campus ministry. And one of the reasons we're here, i got to say this to you guys, you are one of the reasons we're here. God called us, first of all, back to Christ, called me back to Christ, brought my wife to Christ into campus ministry. And so uh, I, I tried to be a lawyer, but I wanted to do that work. Um, and then when um, we, we call it in campus ministry, we call it a demotion when you become a preacher, <laughs> out of being a campus minister. But I said, I, I, if at all possible, I always want to be at a church that has a campus ministry because God changed my life when I was sitting. Well, honestly, about this time of year, I probably wasn't sitting. I ran away from Him my freshman year, and and a church loved me enough to wait on me. And so we're here in part of you, but in, in part because of you, but. Here's, here's the thing, you guys trained me because I was trained to be a lawyer, and then I ended up doing this campus ministry thing. I've since gone back and got that, but um, I remember going to a campus ministry seminar pretty early on, and I heard this veteran campus minister talk, and he did that the, the theme or title of his talk was, Give Away Your Ministry. He said, you know, your job is always to be given your way, your ministry. Do it again and again. Invest so deeply in the lives of the people that you're serving in your ministry that it goes on and disciples from all that. That became my vision for ministry from the very beginning. You might have heard of this guy. His name's Bob Davidson. <laughs> and the, the ti- I'll never forget this, years ago. The title of his talk at the campus ministry seminar was Be the Do-Nothing Campus Minister. <laughs> and he didn't mean to do anything. He said... He said, honestly, my goal is if a college student could do it, I don't need to be doing it. I want to invest in them, and I want to give that and pass it on, and and, uh, that legacy has shaped my life. You guys didn't know. You trained me to do the ministry in the very place we're going to end up being, changed our lives. It's a blessing. I love being with you. We're excited to be here permanently when we get down here in January. I want to begin just by uh, reading the text of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today. It's in Luke chapter four. If you have your Bibles or your devices, you're going to read it on. Pull it up. Apologize. I don't. I don't put the words. I just want to hear it. So uh, Luke four, starting verse one. From from here on out, doesn't matter what I say. Hear this. This is the word of the Lord. Luke chapter four, verse one. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. Was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him till an opportune time. Let's pray. Father God, I pray as the psalmist prayed a long time ago, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What do you do when you find yourself in the middle of nowhere? What do you do when you find yourself kind of in the middle of nowhere, you don't know where you're going, you're lost in some way, some disconnection, maybe long season that felt like it wasn't gonna be that long. What do you do in the middle of nowhere? I, I remember when we were living in Lubbock, I was going to a conference alone. It was just me driving. We were going up to a conference in in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I know you know it, but just kind of get the picture in your mind. We're over there in Lubbock. It's literally three turns, by the way. You go north, you, you turn right on Interstate 40, and then you go up to Tulsa. Now, if anybody has ever driven on Interstate 40 through Oklahoma, you know what I mean when I say it is the middle of nowhere. Right? Have you been out there? It just feels like it goes on forever. The road looks exactly the same. It's just eternal, even though it's not that long. So we drive up there, I do the conference, I get in the car, I'm driving back, and I get into a conversation with my sister. One thing you need to know about me, when I'm, when I'm talking with somebody, I'm all in, right? So I'm talking, I'm engaging her. My sister's a phenomenal conversationalist, deep thinker, funny, all that stuff. So we're talking about God, we're talking about family, we're talking about all this stuff. And we're talking, we're talking, we're talking, we're talking. And finally, I see this sign. For those who are just listening, the sign said, welcome to Arkansas. Now, if, if you forget your geography, here's the thing, that, that's, that's to the east. <laughs> so here's the reality. I got in the car, I'm talking to my sister, I drove two hours in the wrong direction. <laughs> and we saw the sign, I literally drove for, for a few seconds in the turnaround in the state of Arkansas, and I rode back. So here, here's the thing, if you've ever found yourself in a moment like that, there's like one question that just... Drives in your mind. How quickly can I get out of here? I will not, because there's probably some law enforcement in the room. I will not tell you how fast I drove on the way back. But don't, it's bad enough when you go the wrong way. But don't, you just feel like all of these ways was like four hours of wasted time. And all that. Here's the thing: in the Bible, there is an image. There's a theme comes up again and again throughout the Bible for this kind of time or place or feeling of being in nowhere. The Bible calls it the wilderness. And and throughout scripture, this theme comes up again and again. Have you ever been in a wilderness time or season of your life? You ever been in a time like that? Have we maybe the last two years been kind of a time like where you feel like, hey, I'm out of it. And all of a sudden, welcome to Arkansas. I got to go do this again. The conflict and the tension that's all around and The world all around us, church sometimes feels like that. We got the next thing and we don't have the next thing and it just feels like that. Or individually, here's the thing. Everyone in this room either has already or you will at some time in your life, maybe you're there now, has wilderness, desert, nowhere, seasons of life. Fancy word for it. Scholars will call it liminal space. You heard this before? Liminal space. What's liminal space? It's when you you go in one direction, the door behind you closes, but the door in front of you hasn't opened yet. Do you have that feeling sometime? And the Bible calls this wilderness. Now, if you're like me, here's, here's what I think. Here's what I feel. I feel like I did on the Arkansas road when I have seasons of my life that are nowhere wilderness times. I want to say, how quickly can I get out of this? How quickly can it change? Here's the thing. I want to look at this classic text of Scripture because I think God's inviting us to have a slightly different perspective on what happens and what's going on when we encounter these wilderness seasons of life. First thing I noticed right off the bat, you don't have to get past the first verse. One thing that you notice is that God is up to something in the middle of nowhere. God is up to something. He's doing something in the moment. He's working purpose. He's working vision. He's doing something in the nowhere spaces, in that in-between-the-doors kind of moment. Here's how we know this. Again, in the first verse, it does not say, notice, it does not say the devil led him into the wilderness nowhere time. It doesn't say the circumstances of life. It doesn't say the government led him. It doesn't say that, that bad things led him to the moment. What does it say? By the way, you can talk to me here. Like, let's, let's what does it say? How do you get there? The Spirit led him into the wilderness. Like God was behind that in some way. By the way, that doesn't mean every time something bad happens, God's like inflicting it upon you. But, but it does say this. God's there, not just on the other side. Not just when we get off the wrong road. Not just when we get past it and through it. God's in it already. So before we even get to the deeper parts of the story, may I suggest thinking about a slightly different question to ask when we're in the nowhere time, in the wilderness time. See, the question I want to ask is how quickly can I get out of this? I might suggest, because of verse 1, the question is, God, what are you doing in this? You thought about that? A simple prayer. You might not need the rest of the sermon. You might just say, you're going through something right now. Yes, God, pray for anything. Ephesians says, pray for whatever you want to pray to get out of it. But also, here's another prayer. God, what are you doing in it? Because God isn't just in the deliverance. He's in the wilderness too. I told you I tried to be a lawyer twice. The second time I tried to do it, about seven years ago. Major restart of my life. Just want to restart everything. Thought I was going to go back to law. I was trying to discern that. And uh, and I had a buddy of mine who does wills and estate planning, does contract stuff. And and he said, why don't you come on and we'll have a business relationship that will go like this. You kill what you eat. I mean, you eat what you kill, basically. So if you bring if you bring uh, clients in, you get the money for that, and I'll take a percentage off for the overhead and the office space and all the logistics and all that. I thought this is great. I'll never forget the day. Melly knows this. We we came, in, my mom and my sister came and visited um, for out of town, and I took them to my office on a Sunday. So it was like Sunday afternoon after church. We went down. I was showing my office like this is my new office. It's awesome. I came in Monday morning. I sat down with my boss, and he said, you know, we've reworked the numbers, and here's the reality. We don't have the money to do it. i got to lay you off. (laughs) It's like the day after I told him. And by the way, this was a week or two after I paid $5,000 to Barbary to help me pass the bar exam in Tennessee. I'm like, God, what are you doing? What in the world? And then I got a different lodge. I was awesome. I was working there about three months. I thought this was going to be the thing. And and then then it wasn't. But I'm telling you, here's, here's what I learned. God was doing something in me in that unsettled season of life. And part of what he did then made it possible for me to be here today. So just a thought. The Holy Spirit is leading in the wilderness times and seasons. If you're in Christ, here's the great promise. We can ask God, hey, get me out of it. Yes, but what are you doing right now in it? Because God doesn't waste the wilderness times in our lives. God is up to something in the middle of nowhere. And there's a lot of things he's doing. but, But one of the things I think about, what are you up to? What are you doing? Here's the thing. God reveals identity in the wilderness and in the nowhere places. God's revealing identity in this time. God takes wilderness times and places to say, this is who I am. We know this. You live life long enough, you know this. There's almost no season in your life where you will learn more about God than in those in-between times and spaces. God reveals who he is, and God also reveals who you are, who you were created to be and who you were designed to be. This story is all about identity. You see this? Here's a way to think about this. When you're reading scripture, remember that they didn't have books they carried around, they had some scrolls. Most people couldn't read. If they had it, they certainly didn't excuse me, have a printing press. So repetition really matters. When you're reading the Bible, if if something is repeated, just think of it as Holy Spirit doing italics or underline. Bold, he's bolding this. One thing that gets repeated twice in this story, what's the first thing the devil says before he offers the temptation? Twice he says what? If you are the Son of God... What is the devil doing? He's attacking your identity. Why is this important? We know what has happened right before this story. There's a genealogy there, but before the last action in the story the book of Luke was this moment right here for Jesus. It was his baptismal moment. It's one of the times when all of the persons of the Trinity are on stage at the same time, right? The Father is speaking from heaven. The Spirit descends like a dove. Jesus is being baptized. And, And what did God say about Jesus in that moment? What did he say? This is my boy. <laughs> this is my son, and I'm delighted in him. Quick pause, because you need to hear this. He says the same thing about you when you give your life to Christ and baptism too. He says the same thing about you. This is my girl. This is my boy. I'm delighted in you no matter what you do, no matter what you think. But That's what he said. Here's who you are. This is my son. One other note about this. That language, the Son of God, is technical language in the Old Testament, too. He's not just saying Trinity stuff, Father, Son. He uh, he is saying that. He's saying more of that. Look at Psalm 2 sometime. And what you'll find, this is one of many that are called coronation psalms. And it goes like this. It's repeated in the book of Hebrews as well. God says, today you have become my son. Today you have become my son. And I betrothed you, and I've become your father. You're my son today. Well, Jesus was... For all of eternity, God's son, what does that mean? A coronation song. When you became the king of Israel, you, were, you became the son of God. So this baptism story of Jesus is about more than just declaring Jesus' identity as part of the Trinity. It's also saying to the world, here's my king. Here's my son. He's going to be Israel's king, and he's going to be the world's king, and he's going to do it my." way. By the way, what did it mean? Go read the Gospels. What did it mean for Jesus to be God's king? It meant he was going to have a crown of thorns, not a crown of jewels. He was going to be elevated, not on a throne, but on a what? On a cross. So here's what I want to suggest. You know this to be true in your own life. Most of us are not tempted by 20,000 different things. Most of us are tempted by the same three or four or five things again and again on a regular basis. Devil knows how to hit you and he's going to keep hitting you. I want to suggest, go study it for yourself, but I want to suggest the major temptation that the devil keeps bringing to Jesus because he has the same one. Jesus, same way, same thing again and again. Here's my suggestion. Think about it. Major temptation of Jesus throughout his life and ministry starts here. To become king without the cross. God says, here's my son. What does it mean to be God's king? You're going to die on a cross. You're going to give your life. You're going to wear the crown of thorns. And the temptation the devil's going to throw at him again and again is to become king without a cross. By the way, that's the word Greek in Greek. The word devil means, think about this because you've experienced it, to throw through. He's going to throw something at you. And he's going to throw something at you. His desire is to penetrate you, to get right through. So he's going he's to challenge Jesus again and again and again. You notice how the story ends. He left, but he didn't leave forever. What did it say? He left until an opportune time. Let me suggest a few of the opportune times. John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 6,000 people. I mean 10,000 people. Yeah, I know it said 5,000. Sorry, they didn't count the women and children in the count. There was about 10,000 people. Jesus miraculously feeds them. And they all come to Jesus. And it says, and I quote, they tried to make him king by force. I don't know how that works. You're my king, but we're forcing you to do it. And it says Jesus just walked away and went to the mountainside. They were trying to tempt him to be the popular one. Here it's directly with the devil. Sometimes it's a crowd. Maybe you've heard of this story, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus gives the first of three what are called passion predictions. I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die, and I'm coming back. And Peter said, no, you're not. It says it took, Peter took him aside and rebuked him. Does anybody remember what Jesus said to him? Get behind me. What a weird thing to say. He's not being mean and he's not calling Peter the devil. Listen to me. He's heard that voice before. You can be the Messiah, but you don't have to go to the cross. Now go all the way to the cross. What happens when he's hanging there between two thieves? In Matthew, it says the thieves cry out to him, save yourself and us, what? If you are the son of God. Have we heard that language before? The devil's throwing at him again and again and again. You can become king without the cross. Here's the thing. The devil was trying to shortcut the mission of the son of God. And let me tell you something that I learned in this moment. It's, it's about our identity, too. Here's the thing. Any attempt to shortcut the good life or successful life is always a lie. You will be tempted a thousand different ways to take a shortcut, the easy way out. Please take it from me. You will get stuck. Any offer to have a short, easy way to have identity or success or whatever the case may be is always a lie. I remember we were doing ministry in, uh, in campus ministry in, in Lubbock, and we'll call him Alan, that's not his name. But a dear friend of mine, one of our students, started dating. This young lady He'd been dating for about three weeks and started talking about marriage. They've been dating three weeks. She was a committed Muslim, not throwing rocks at religions. I'm a Jesus follower. I'm not throwing rocks, but here's the reality. He is a sold-out Christian follower of Jesus. She was a committed Islamic uh, Muslim. And and we just, fortunately, he was part of a campus ministry. And fortunately, they didn't just kind of sit around and watch this happen. They came to Allen, and several of you Um, you know, folks in his peer group said, Alan, what are you doing? Can we just talk about this? And here's what's staggering to me, because I've done a lot of weddings, done a lot of premarital counseling. We all have been in situations where somebody's heading for a cliff. And I'll be honest, most of the time in my life, when I'm talking with somebody and working with them, when it's going to marriage, they don't listen. Most of the time, unfortunately. Here's what's amazing. Alan did. And he broke up with her, and he found out two or three weeks she was trying to, to marry him so she could get legal and come into the country. Shortcuts are always a lie. Here's the beautiful thing, because he took God's road and he was willing to let God do his work in the wilderness now. He's married, he has these incredible kids. They're both sold out followers of Jesus and he's delighted in his relationship. He didn't take the easy way out. Shortcuts are always a lie. By the way, shortcuts are offered to churches too. Silly example, but it's true. I wish this were not true. I was reading, it's been some years ago now, but a church in the Northeast was struggling with attendance and budget. So here was their idea to get more people in and to raise the budget. They decided to have a raffle on Sunday morning. And all you had to do was put $10 in the plate and stay to the end of the sermon. (laughs) So you had to listen and you put $10 in and at the end they had a drawing and you could win $1,000 if you contributed. And guess what happened? Attendance and uh, contribution went through the roof. So I'm here to announce our new fundraising project. That's a silly example, but the one that's been in my head, I talk about this in class too, you know the number one or number two podcast, um, whether you're looking at the United States or, or England, number one or number two, uh, Apple podcast in the world right now. You know what it is? Not, I'm not talking religious podcast, number one in the world. Does anybody know? Do any of you know? Rise and fall of Mars Hill. A guy named Mark Driscoll starts a church. It goes multi-site, over 10,000 people, blowing up all of the place, and it ended in a day. Because they finally exposed that he was abusing power. He was building the whole thing about himself. He was manipulating uh, the church to buy all of his books, do all the stuff. Again, I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. I'm just saying it is easy to build a church, try to shortcut a church, get a celebrity preacher. Get, get the best worship group in town. Do every, I'm not against, pre, I hope I preach well. I'm not against good worship. I'm just saying you can build a church on, on the show. And tried to take a shortcut. The shortcut is always a lie. I love the way they said on the podcast. So often you have Christian people that are trying to find a spiritual mascot for their spiritual journeys. Church, can I just say that you don't need a mascot? I am not your mascot. The elders are not your mascot. The ministers here are not your mascot. You don't need to put your spiritual identity in anybody other than Jesus. He's enough. In any other shortcut, is a lie. Here's the thing that I find most staggering about this. I love it. The last thing is real. We're this talks about us and our identity. But my favorite picture that I get here is the identity of God himself. Can we just say it this way? Listen, Jesus is a breathtaking guide to get us through the wilderness. He's absolutely Breathtaking. He's phenomenal. He is worth it. He is certainly enough. Uh, it, in order to get the picture of this, I want to do a little thought experiment with you. I, I, I tell what I call it, and it is my favorite Texas story. <laughs> so I was coming down to Texas for the first time. We were having conversations with the, uh, the, the campus ministry on a, uh, uh, for a school that will not be named in Lubbock. Um, through the campus ministry there. Um, and, and they introduced me to one of our students there, one of our graduate students, a guy named Kyle engineering student brilliant guy but he's one of those people have you met some of them they're brilliant but have no common sense (laughs) brilliant guy no common sense he's a little bit crazy because he would never quit anything now by the way i'm saying this now in front of our college students so i'm not advocating this as a church outreach or campus ministry outreach but i promise i came there and they told us about their their um, evangelistic outreach not making this up called we were christ in action ca ca fight club you ever seen the movies? Well, maybe see, So this is what they did. They would invite Christians and non-Christians. They'd go downstairs in the basement, put headgear and gloves on, and they would beat each other up. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> so literally, this was, the, this was the rules. Two minutes, you fight, and you just keep going in one round after another, and the only way it ends is somebody taps out and quits. Now, can I tell you, Kyle got the mess beat out of him every time because he wouldn't quit. I remember Charlie Turner is one of our or six foot four, huge guys. Kyle was good shape or whatever, but I mean, he's not Charlie. And so he would get up and he would just get beat and beat and beat, beat. Here's the other way. I want you to get a good picture of Kyle because this really matters and we're not just having fun. There's a point to this. This was my introduction to Kyle when I went down there. They said, look, this is what Kyle decided to do. Remember, engineering student. Um, he, t- he tied a recliner to the back of his pickup truck. Are you going with me already? Right. And, and he, got his, he got his friend to start driving, and they're driving 30 miles an hour. Remember, engineering student, I don't understand a lot about physics, but here's what I know. If you're driving 30 miles an hour with a truck and a chair attached to it, what happens when you turn the truck? Right? The chair keeps going straight 30 miles an hour, and they flip over and picture this. The whole side of it is like, just scraped and torn up. And so he's all bloody, and he comes into his roommate, and he says, Will you take a picture of me? <laughs> He wants it documented, what he has just done. The guy says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take part in this. You need to go to the doctor. No, no, I'll be fine. And so he goes to bed, wakes up at 8 o'clock in the morning to take an engineering exam, which he gets an A on. And then he's like feeling something about his arm, and he goes and he finds out he broke his arm and his shoulder, and he still gets an A. Do you have a picture in your head of Kyle? Do you have a good picture? Now, here's a thought experiment. I want you to imagine Conor McGregor is coming to do an exhibition fight. Conor McGregor, if you don't know, is a martial arts guy that can beat people up, and he's a beast. And he's going to fight two different people. One of them is going to be Kyle. The other is going to be me. This is not a rhetorical question. Who will get beat worse? Kyle. Yes. Why? He will not quit, right? If you are like me, every time I've read this story, I've thought, man, listen, I know Jesus gets tempted in all the ways we do. I know Jesus is all that. But honestly, he's God. He doesn't have it worse than we do, right? I had actually one of my former students call me one time, and he said, look, Dean, I'm really wrestling with this honest question. He said, I'm wrestling with this because um, I know it says Jesus tempted all the ways we are, but Jesus was never married. (laughs) I said, I'm sure your wife is saying the same thing, right? Don't we think this sometimes? Who ha- now listen, you've heard the story with me and Kyle. Again, who's going to get beat worse, me or Kyle? Now, here's the point. Who will have it worse in temptation? You or Jesus? Here's the thing. My whole life I've seen this story. I'm like, yeah, he's playing the God card. He's got, listen to this. There's two, two phrases, two words that are repeated at the beginning and the end of the story. The, Bible calls, I mean, the scholars call this an inclusio, If you pay attention to what's going on. In the beginning, it says, Jesus was there for 40 days in the wilderness. And when those days were completed, finished, fulfilled, he was hungry. The end of the last verse in verse 13, it says that when the devil finished, completed, fulfilled all of the temptations. Hear me, this isn't just a silly story. You gotta hear this. Who had it worse? Jesus or you or me? Jesus, why? Because one thing I can say about everybody in this room, including the one preaching to you right now, every one of us has given in to temptation sometime. Everyone, everyone. Listen, nobody in this room knows what it's like to finish all the temptations of the evil one. Jesus took it all and stood up at the end and went forward into the purpose and the mission of God. Isn't he breathtaking? I don't know about you, but I'll follow that guy. Because here's what I promise you, you and all, we'll all blow it. So I need somebody that's gonna stand up and take it all, to finish it all. So he invites all of us and I'm telling you, I'm begging you, especially young people hear me because I've tried it every other way you can trust this guy with all of your being because he's taken everything, every shot that you will ever take in your life, he's taken it all and he's come out on the other side. So when you are in the wilderness and seasons of your life, you can trust him to go with you. He didn't shortcut it and he has demonstrated he's worth it. So I end with this. I was reminded of just a picture of this, man, a week ago. We had a Uh, In in Nashville, I had a national discipleship conference. So people all over the world, ministries, churches all over the world came. And uh, and at the end of it, they did a blessing. And that blessing was prayed over us by this guy. His name's Robert Coleman. Some of you have been around for a while. He wrote a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. The point of the book was focus on a few. You You have the big thing, this is important, but he said focus on the few. Jesus poured his life into 12 guys and changed the world. So he wrote a book about that. They now give out at this discipleship conference the Robert Coleman Award for those that have demonstrated a lifetime of of walking with people with Jesus. But here's what I love. Because remember, all that week I'm like binging Mars Hill stuff. And I'm like, gosh, this crazy build a church on celebrity pastor kind of thing. And, and And then this guy ends our conference. And this is what I love. This is his most prized possession. It's his Bible. You saw I'm holding his Bible up there. This is his Bible. Marriage is on the right. You know what's on the left. And there's other pages over there. But you know what's there? <laughs> the names of every person he has discipled and mentored and poured his life into over 92 years. And what I love is most of you have no idea who he is. Doesn't have a podcast. Didn't write a bunch of books. Didn't sell a bunch of stuff. He's just quietly poured his life into people and followed Jesus in the long haul, taking no shortcuts over the course of a 92-year life. And you know what he says? It's worth it. So we are passionately excited about joining this church to say, let's do it that way. Let's do it that way. What names are going to be inside of your Bible? What what community work is going to be inside of your Bible as we pour in this church for the next hundred years into the life of this community in the world? He's worth it, church. Let's follow him. Nobody else. Nobody else. Let's follow him. He's worth it. Father God, we give you praise. Every time I come to the store, I just can't believe believe—can't believe what you put up with. What you have endured for me and for the community and for churches. We would love to advertise to the world, come to church because we've got it all together and we're great people. Oh, we're broken like everybody else. So thank you for being the one who got it right and the one who stood up through it all so that when we fall flat on our face as a church and individuals, you'll pick us right up and you will get us through. In everything we do and be for the next hundred years, Lord Jesus, would you be front and center and would you lead the way? In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you.